0: Ephesians chapter 4. I see the time and I will try to go quickly because I know that we have many meals that are probably cooking right now. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and is in all. That is the Word of God for us this morning. Amen? You may be seated. imagine back with me approximately 2,000 years there's an individual who encounters Jesus he is blind and as the story unfolds Jesus walks up to this blind man, actually takes him out of the city, spits in his eyes, touches his eyes and says, what do you see? He goes, I see what look like trees walking around and so Jesus kind of does the same thing again, and and he goes, now what do you see? And he goes, I see clearly, and he sends him home. Well, in another part of Israel, later in the ministry, Jesus comes across another gentleman who's blind. He's been blind from birth. And As Jesus approaches him and, and sees the desire, the longing for healing, Jesus reaches down and picks up some dirt, and he spits in it. And he makes the first sanctified mud pie. Maybe the second creation might have been a big mud pie. And he smears it on the eyes and the face of the man. And He tells him at that moment in time, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he does so and he receives his sight. Now, you know, we... We think of Israel geographically as this monstrosity sometimes, and it's not really. The size is not huge. So I imagine that these stories started to circulate. And because the Pharisees are questioning all that's happening, I imagine that there was one point in time where the Pharisees maybe even brought these two men and their families together and began to ask them, and they reiterated their stories. But, but as they're hearing each other's story, they're realizing each other is wrong, Mark 8, the one story, and John 9, we don't have their names, but Mark 8 and John 9 are, are relaying the story. And, and I imagine that maybe at some point in time, John 9 goes, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second, you forgot about the part with the dirt. Because you, you have to tell the part of the dirt. It's part of the story, you, you can't forget that. And, and Mark 8 sitting over here going, dude, I don't know what you're on right now, but there was no dirt involved. And you're not telling the full story because he touched my eyes twice. And so they start going back and forth. And before long, what happens in family dynamics? Your kid's a liar. I know what happened with my kid. I was there. I thought your kid's a liar. And John 9's parents are sitting there going, he was blind from birth. We saw it take place. We were questioned by the Pharisees. We know this is truthful. And it starts to grow, right? Now we know the Pharisees and the Sadducees loved each other so much that they would never take sides. And so during the life of Jesus' ministry, we see the church begin to divide. On one side, we have the Muddites, on the other side, we have the anti Muddites. And yet, if we were to go to Scripture, we know that both are right. This morning, I believe that one of the things that that we need to understand from God's Word is that God's calling His church to live in peaceful unity. And yet, at the same time, I'm sure stirring in your heart and in your mind, because it stirs in mind, and we can look at passages of Scripture. We know it was true of Israel. We know it was true of religious leaders. We know it's true throughout history. How? How how do we live in peaceful unity? How, How do we make this a reality? Because you know what? My experience coming to Jesus is different than each of your experiences and your journeys. And we can argue about which is the right way. Churches split up because of color of carpet and seats over pews or hymns over choruses or... Do we have instruments or non-instruments? Which instruments are in the Bible? Which ones aren't? How do we know what to do? And so how do we do this in a way that we can live in peaceful unity? By the way, because we struggle with it doesn't make the call any less. Just because we struggle to live it doesn't mean we can go, oh, so God wasn't really serious about that. No, we go, We know God's calling is serious, so how do we adjust our lives to make that a reality? How do we actually do this? Paul provides two elements with a series of sub-elements with them. We'll fly through this. First of all, our attitude. Our attitude. How do we live peaceably in unity? Our attitude is a big part of it. Paul starts out, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, This is a passionate call of Paul. He is pleading with the church. He's not just going, hey guys, it'd be really cool if you guys could all like work together. That, that would just be like the the cream of the crop. We'd, we'd like, we might have more of an influence. No, he says, I urge you. Have you ever had to, to look at a friend who you know has gone down the wrong path and go, look, I'm, I'm not asking nicely anymore. Like I am begging you. Change your direction. Change the path that you're going down. And this is Paul. Paul's saying, I'm I'm begging you, church in Ephesus, correct the course that you're walking down because if you keep down this course, there's going to be greater division rather than peaceful unity. He goes on, I urge you to walk. Hebraically, this means to live out your life. It wasn't just, Okay, we're going to church, so we get, you know, hook up arm in arm and we walk in. No, this is live your life. Don't just come to church and walk through the doors and go, see, we're a happy family, kumbaya. Paul says it's more important that you live a, a peaceful unity outside the walls of this church. He goes on to say, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy manner in Greek it's axios. It's what we get that idea of an axiom from. A short statement that shows us how to live an aspect of our life, but it actually means of equal weight. And here is an appropriate place for Paul to put this. Right at the transition from chapter three to chapter four, because remember if you look at the verse, verse one of chapter four, I Therefore, which means he's talking about what's before it, right? Paul, in chapters 1 through 3, if you recall from several years ago, is dealing with orthodoxy. He's dealing with what we believe. And so he now comes along and he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. A manner worthy of what? The orthodoxy that I just taught you. So your life and your beliefs need to line up equally, is what he's calling them to. Orthodoxy. Orthopraxy. And he goes on to say, men are worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That calling was the unifying of Jews and Gentiles together in the first three chapters. He talks about stuff like, you want to know peace? Then know Jesus. Because peace isn't something external, peace is a person. Ephesians chapter 2. He says, But let's back it up a little and and go to chapter 1 and understand our position in God. See, unity can't take place if I don't understand my position with God. And if I begin to think that I have a better or a lesser position with God than you do and not the appropriate position, then conflict begins to arise. And unity doesn't get fleshed out. So Jews and Gentiles being brought together together under the blood of Jesus Christ, to experience peace and the fullness of life. Well, Terry, what's the fullness of life? The fullness of life is found in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, the two places that Paul goes, I pray for you that. I encourage you to go back and look them up. But understand, first and foremost, he prays that we would know the love of God in our life. And so sometimes this failure of unity begins to rear itself because we take our eyes off of the love of God and start to place it onto the sin of others. And we start to equate each other. And Paul says, I I pray that you would know the depth and the breadth and the height and the width of God's love for one another. And out of that love, we confront sin. But out of that love, we confront sin not out of the law. So he goes through and he starts breaking it down and he says, first of all, with all humility. If you look at verse 2, he says, walk this walk, equal orthopraxy, orthodoxy, walk it together in unity with all humility. Remember, we've talked a lot about this in, in First Peter. It's not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself in the sight of God. Unity is totally destroyed when we inflate or we deflate who we think we are. If I overinflate, I take up more space than I should. If I underinflate, I'm not holding up the space that I should. If I overinflate my ego, I'm pushing people out of the way. If I underinflate my ego, I am not holding up those who are also falling down. So he says, with all humility, know who I am in Christ and walk that out. He goes on and he says, with all gentleness. Gentleness is that mild disposition. It's our mood or our temperament. I like the phrasing of it is strength under control. It is being a gentle giant. The idea is that while I have the ability to bring force or power, I choose to restrain from using its effects. Think of Jesus in the garden. I have the ability to call down legions of angels and protect me at this moment in time, but I choose not to. We realize that in our lives, especially as Americans and independents and and, and all that's involved with this stuff. I have the ability to do a lot. Gentleness is the ability to control what I do. But it's not just an action. It's a disposition. It's a mood. It's a temperament. He goes on with all humility and gentleness with patience. Let's just be honest right now. We so lack it this in relationship with people we so lack patience in relationship with people as parents we lack it with our kids as married people we lack it with our spouse generationally we lack it with older and younger people alike as church people we lack it with one another Patience is the idea of having a largeness of soul. Listen to this. Patience is having a largeness of soul that can endure annoyances and difficulties over a long period of time. A largeness of soul that can deal with the difficulties and the annoyances over a period of time, not just in the moment, but over a period of time. All goes on, bearing in love, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Really, this should that one of our translations, and some of them might say it, but our, our translation should really be understood as. To hold up. To bear one another. is really to hold up another in love. It's not just about tolerating somebody or enduring somebody's antics or sustaining a relationship with somebody. It's about holding one another up in love. It involves striving to believe the best in someone else. So as much As I am frustrated with the antics of some individual, I still choose to look and go, I believe they can change by God's grace. Not that I can change them, but that God's grace and his love can change them. And so to bear with one another in love is to hold them up and say, you have the potential to change. Allow God to work in your life. Reality check for us. Do we realize that each one of us, raise your hand and say, I am, I'm not saying that you're God, okay? I'm just saying, just saying, I am, and because I am, at some point, I have been a pain, or I have been a burden, to someone else. Oh, thank you for confessing that this morning. I've wanted to tell you that for a long time, but you've just confessed it of your own will, so thank you. No, this is part of humility, realizing that as much as that individual right now might be a pain in my life, I probably have been that same pain to somebody else along the way. And so bearing in love is to go, I- I'm going to take all of that frustration of the pain and I'm going to turn it around to love and I'm going to hold that person up because somebody else has done it for me. means being uncomfortable for the sake of someone else. In our consumeristic society, rather than holding up one another, we tend to go find another church that caters to our wishes and our desires. Somebody rugs me wrong in the church, I just go somewhere else that won't. They don't do the music I like in the church, I just go somewhere else that does it. The preacher preaches too long in the church. We're just going to look for someone who preaches shorter. It doesn't matter what it is. Pick anything of your preference and go, our tendency in the church today is that if we don't like it, we don't hold them up in love, we turn and let them go and we try to find another answer. Something that will cater to our own desires and wishes. Bearing with one another in love, verse 3, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I think we could pause here. This could be an entire sermon in itself, but remember we're doing four weeks in Ephesians 4. Can we just, honesty and transparency. This is one of the benefits of of being on my way out as I can say anything that I want to, right? What are you going to do, fire me? let let let's truly let's be honest for just a moment. E eagerness. By the way, I didn't do that. That's the way it worked out, you know. So E for eagerness. But there aren't many of us that are actually eager to be unified. Let, let's let's just do a, a self reality check for a second here. We are cultivated in our soul in the country in which we live, and dare I even say the majority of the church in which we participate and live, to think about one thing. And so there is no cultivation of eagerness to go, how do I make this work? How do do I make this a reality in my life to actually live in unity with other people? Because... To have an eagerness to do that also means, God, what what do I have to give up? Who Who is somebody that I might have to actually hold up in love? Who is somebody or what's a situation where I need to extend patience? I, I said this amount of time and God's saying, no, this amount of time. Honestly, how many of us are are truly eager? You know, there's an emotional component to eagerness. It's the I've got box office tickets for the Seahawks, and I'm and I'm like bouncing around and I can't wait to go. That's an eagerness, right? And how many of us are sitting around in our life? Eager to go, how do we bring this church together? How do we bring the church of Orofino together? Pause, time out for just a second, because when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, those in the membership class heard this yesterday, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he wasn't writing to Orofino Community Church. Paul was writing to the church of Orfino. This is not about unity in OCC. This is about Unity in the body of Jesus Christ in Orofino. When's the last time you left church and said, "I can't wait to find out how I can unify with brother so and so or sister so and so at such and such a church." I I can't wait to figure out, God, God, how do we how do we start to bring the body together? Well. I showed yesterday when I took my ordination, my written ordination exam. I had a written and an oral one. I took my written. I got to choose some of my topics to write on, and one of them was denominationalism. That was one of the words to write on. And I started my ordination exam with denominationalism, a necessary evil. I don't believe it was the original design of God, but I believe God allows it one might stretch me in a particular way to say at times God might even bless me. Because let's be honest, we are different people. We have different personalities. We have different preferences. We have different... And so to allow churches that do hymns or choruses or blend them, to allow churches to have pews or seats or some combination of both, to have, you know, I I think God says "That's, that's all great. I could care less about the building structure. I care more about the heart structure. In the church. So I ask us this morning OCC, are, are we eager to bring unity to the body of Christ outside the walls of this church? So, what is my attitude when it comes to unity in the church? Have I even given it much thought? Have I, have I paused to say, wait a second, Am, am I a tool of unity or am I a tool of disunity in the body of Christ? Am I eager to see and maintain unity? Do my desires take priority over others? What is my attitude when it comes to unity in the church? Let me skip over this. Number two. I think what Paul talks about is in order to find unity, we have to have a Trinitarian approach. We have to have a Trinitarian approach. What do I mean by that? Well, the Trinity is three in one. Three distinct persons who function as one. Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Different persons. Guess what different persons means? different thought processes, different ideas, different, and yet they function as one. Do we understand that unity is at the heart of God? In fact, there's conversations from time to time. James, we had part of one yesterday about what does it mean to be made in the image of God. I think to be made in the image of God in part and in pureness, so the effect of sin washed away, is a longing to be unified with other people. I think it's a longing to be functioning in a peaceful unity. In John chapter 17, just note it, go back and read it. John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. Jesus prays for his disciples and for the disciples to come that they might be one as... You, Father, are in me, and as I am in you, may they be one as we are one. When Jesus prayed that prayer of unity, it wasn't some fanciful ideology. It was a reality that was meant to be expressed and lived out. It was that, yes, Terry Gugger is his own person. And Jennifer Guger, or McDonough previously, is her own person. But the two shall become one. Dare I say we struggle doing it in the church because we can't do it in our marriages. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 that marriage is a microcosm of the church. So if we can't be unified in our marriages, how do we become aren't you glad I'm leaving in four weeks? Please understand, Paul talks about it in Ephesians, please understand, when we come to Christ, there is a positional unity. We've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There's a positional unity. What Paul is calling for is us to flesh out functional unity. Means we all don't think the same way. We all don't have the same, you know, likes and desires and preferences. But because our attitude is such that we want unity, we can set those things aside to be together. There's certain music that I don't like because I think it's more noise than it is music. It's called country. But there are times when I journey with a brother who likes country music, and after I crack my joke, I don't care, right? It's it's done and over I wasn't going to say any names, <laughs> but but the reality is, are we willing, or do we sit there and go, "Hey, do you mind if I change the channel?" Here's my here's my challenge in in this element. It's not a question that's in there. It, it, it's a it's a question that we've asked before, and I, I invite you in the moment of transition to ask this again. Why am I at OCC? If you cannot resolve that God has called you and placed you in the body of OCC, then maybe you should have some conversation with me. be where god wants you be where god wants you he goes on to say that this this trinitarian approach is not merely this three in one god but then he illustrates it further he says one faith there's only one faith and he goes on he says one hope one faith one hope one person jesus christ he is our hope he is our faith it should make it should it, it should sound too simplistic It should sound too simplistic, but it's true. Our faith and our hope is Jesus. Father and Spirit know that. Which is why Father and Spirit aren't clamoring over the recognition of Jesus. Because Jesus in turn glorifies Father and Spirit. They all have different roles, but they're all one. And this should be the anchor point of our spiritual journey. Not man's interpretations and opinions of Scripture, but the realities of Scripture. Such as Christ is our faith and our hope. One faith, one hope. He goes on one baptism. Oh man, that's a messy one. That's a messy one. There's one man who instituted the baptism. Christ. When you're baptized, baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm not even going to touch the mess. One church. Do you like that? One church. One church. Some of us struggle with the old language and verbiage. I understand one holy Catholic church, right? But we understand that in that context, it meant one holy Universal Church, capital C. There is one church. I think what would blow some of our minds away is to actually understand and realize who might actually be part of that large C church. Again, I'm not going to get into it. Um, Those who are in the membership class, you can take a a five-minute nap right now. Because we're going to talk about what we did yesterday. Because this whole idea of a Trinitarian attitude—three in one, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one church—comes down to what Steve Fowler was talking about last week. Remember his 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 four uh, levels of what did I write down here? I thought about levels of debate, levels of uh, disagreement. That's how I def- that's how I defined it. The four levels of disagreement, what are you going to die for, what are you going to divide for, what are you going to debate for, and what are you going to decide for, right? In that order, what are you going to die for, divide for, debate for, decide for? The alliance, through its history, has kind of put out three tiers, and they start with this. Now, this is credited to Augustine or Augustine, it's credited to Wesley, it's credited to a lot of people, but in unity think, in unity in things essential, liberty in things non-essential, charity in all things. The church, capital C, better hold on to unity in things essential. And then the rest can be up for conversation. Here's what the alliance says. Sorry, it's small. Uh, I'll, I'll read through them really quickly. You'll You'll hopefully resonate because I've done circles before concentric circles before. I've said orthodoxy, right? The Trinity. If you can't hold to the Trinity, you're not in the one faith, one hope, one church, one baptism category. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one. That's not an optional sort of thing. Uh, There are people who debate whether it's three or whether it's two or whether it's one who shifts, which is modalism, right? He shifts modes. Um, again, without getting too far theologically, I'm just saying three and one—that's that's the only option to be in one faith, one hope, one baptism, one church. Okay. As you go on, deity and humanity of Christ, person and work of the Holy Spirit—I uh, believe part of that can be debatable, but we're not. Again, we're not going to get into this. I'm open for conversation another time. But lostness in, of man and need of new birth. So, deity and humanity of Christ. So, you, so you need to understand he's fully God, he's fully man. Person, work of the Holy Spirit. That ties back into Trinitarian theology. Uh, Losses of man in, in need of new birth. There are some people that don't believe that man's really that lost and that we can overcome and we'll eventually get there. And that's not one faith, one hope, one baptism, one church. Orthodox Christianity says, no, we are lost. We are sinful. Okay? Substitutionary atoning death of Christ. In other words, we go back up to the humanity and divinity of Christ, and we say that the work of Christ is also sufficient. Okay, Reality of heaven and hell. If there's a church that's not preaching that, run, please. Like, literally, run. Um, Scripture throughout talks about a literal heaven and a literal hell. It, it It is real. Salvation, justification by grace through faith, that's called the Reformation, which can be a debate another time. Inspiration, authority, infallibility, and inerrancy of scripture. Okay? What what we have is what we follow. Uh, incarnation, virgin birth of Christ. Again, you're back up to the deity and humanity. Physical resurrection of Christ, visible, physical second coming of Christ. Please at least hold to the physical resurrection of Christ. Okay? I I think there's a couple in there that I I don't know that I would actually say have to be orthodoxy. Okay? But it's what the alliance has held to. I'm okay with that. Tier two. So now we're starting to talk about dividing over a little bit. Okay, divide and debate. Again, we're going to walk a little bit. Fourfold gospel. I haven't preached on it much. You've heard it occasionally, but the fourfold gospel of the alliance is Jesus Christ, the Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Coming King. Okay, it's not. It's not that hard. We believe Jesus Christ is Savior. Yes. We believe Jesus Christ is sanctifier. Now, we can get into a great conversation about is it Jesus or is it the Holy Spirit that's sanctifier? But Jesus is our initiation into sanctification, and we are trying to become more like Christ. So he is our goal of sanctification, so I'm okay with it. Savior, sanctifier, healer. Do we believe that he is healer? Yes. By his stripes, by his blood, we are Healed. And we recognize that the way the Gospels and James ties that into the Old Testament passage. That is not just spiritual healing. That is physical healing. That is psychological healing. That is emotional healing. Identity healing. that, that is healing of the whole person. Okay, uh, believers, baptism by immersion. Remember, this is not orthodoxy. It is okay for us to be in fellowship with people that think you can get baptized in ways other than immersion. That's, that's a debatable topic. I was joking with the class yesterday. Cause the last thing you want to do is somebody that's on life support say, okay, you gotta get baptized by immersion and you end their life for them. I'm not sure how Jesus would respond to that. Like, I'm just, so all that to be said, there are different denominations and traditions that hold to different things. Do they hold to orthodoxy? That's the check. Oh, they do baptism a little different than us? It's okay. I mean, they do it three times forward. They, they hold you underwater until you can recite the Apostles' Creed. I don't, I don't, you know, I I don't know what it is until the bubbles stop coming. It's okay. The, the way you do baptism, okay, uh, the filling and baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, it's a, it's a denominational thing. We can, we can debate about it. Uh, we do divide over, dividing is not necessarily always bad. Right? Dividing says, this is this is just who we are. We're not saying that that's wrong. We've just chosen to say, as a group, we believe this. Okay? Then we go to tier three. Lots of fun here. Simpson and the alliance affirmed a broad platform and bridge building with flexibility, liberty, and a balance, avoiding extremes, and set aside issues. Such things were considered open questions. I like that phrase. Open questions. Calvinism and Arminianism. If you're Calvinist, raise your hand. No, don't. I was joking. In our body, we have diehard Calvinists. In our body, we have diehard Arminians. It's okay. And then you got weird, messed up pastoral theology that's not either. Okay? This is where the big, tense concept of the alliance comes in. If Paul was serious about living in peaceful unity, it means that somehow Arminians and Calvinists need to figure out how to get along. And yet, they have literally killed each other. Literally killed each other. We celebrate the Reformation for all it does, but do you realize this is a point of murder in the Reformation? The divide over Calvinism and Arminianism. In the Alliance, we say it doesn't matter. Whatever you are, it doesn't matter. Uh, church government: how you structure your church government, all that kind of stuff. We're not. Uh, the, there are there are some churches that have a Presbyterian, so so the district, the denomination tells them what to do. And we know of churches that are fully um, congregational. That is, the congregation decides what it's going to do. There are pros and cons to both sides. The Alliance is a blend of two. Uh, there's pros and cons to what the alliance does. It's it, it, it just is. Uh, roles of women in ministry, women anointing with oil. Those two go hand in hand with regard to the issues within the alliance. And and we're and we're continuing to wrestle through those issues. Again, I'm not going back to the Calvinist Armenian, although oftentimes that is part of the debate. But the the rage is women should sit silently under their husband to. Women can do whatever God has called them to do, including being ordained as reverend and be elders and all that kind of stuff. That's the spectrum, okay? What the Alliance is striving for is to say, let the local church context and leadership decide. That's what they're striving to go after. We used to be very open to letting women do ministry until 1999, and some women tried to serve communion to our national council, and then everything erupted, and I don't get the whole thing. It's just stupid. Yes. If I'm ever looking at a church, yes. Send them this sermon, okay? It's just stupid. We see throughout Scripture women are empowered by God to do things. There, there are certain things that I wrestle with a little bit more than maybe some of my brothers and sisters and stuff like that. It, it's it's all good. You know, I would just make a choice that I could or couldn't serve there or I could have, you know, whatever. Uh, beliefs and practices on baptism, we kind of hit that. Communion. You know, do you have to do each element separately and then partake of it separately? Do you hand both out at the same time and partake? Do you do a common cup? (gasps) Do you use grape juice or wine or vinegar? Do you do intinction when you dip it in? Is the common person allowed to touch it or does it have to be put on the mouth by a priest? You know, all all these sorts of things, okay? Foot washing, I I don't even know why that's on it. Um... Forms, habits, methods of worship, modern hymns, tunes, musical instruments, all that kind of stuff. Did anybody look up Sabbatarianism? Not yet. Okay, so you still can't inform me of that because I haven't looked it up either. Anyways, but like do you believe the Sabbath is the only day? So Saturday is the only day to worship or do you believe that Sunday is the only day to worship? Or do you believe that actually you could do corporate worship anytime? Do you believe that on a Sabbath you absolutely positively cannot do anything including walk more, more than half a mile? Or do you believe that like it, it is a gift given to us by God? You know, so all that sorts of stuff. Varying views on creation, but not evolutionary theory. So be clear on that. There are brilliant brothers and sisters in Christ who will debate a literal six-day creation with, I'm gonna loosely call it an evolutionary creation, but part of their arguments is scripture says a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, and a day is like a thousand years. So if you turn that into six thousand as opposed to one right and and we go look we know what scripture says but we don't know what scripture says okay and and we say creation is one of those bendable places until you get to evolutionary theory then we're like ah no god is the creator okay uh views on sanctification views on end times details order of events antichrist rule of israel etc yeah do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back in person? Yes. Okay, you're good. Like, like, really, okay. In seriousness, in seriousness, if you're pre-trib, raise your hand. I'm being serious right now. If you're pre-trib, raise your hand. Pre-tribulation, raise your hand. Okay, if you're mid-tribulation, raise your hand. If you're pre-wrath, raise your hand. If you're post-trib... Raise your hand. Okay, we've got believers in all of the mixes. Here's the thing: Jesus is coming back in person. We know that we can read scripture and, and, and kind of get some sense of the time and what's going to happen. It doesn't matter beyond that. Okay, are are the armored locusts in Revelation? Are they you know military helicopters? I I don't know. We talked yesterday, how many are familiar with the term preterist or partial preterist? Raise your hand. Thank you. Okay. So, preterist, partial preterists, say that some of the stuff of end times has already happened. For example, AD 70, when Nero desecrated the temple by defecating in the temple <laughs> and then burned it down. There are some belief systems that say the temple doesn't need to be rebuilt because that's already happened. There are other belief systems that say, no, 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 the temple needs to be rebuilt before. So, again, they're debatable issues. There's something for which I can have an opinion, but I don't divide the church over. If I can't sit in a Sunday school class that teaches a different perspective than me because it irritates me and my blood gets boiling because I have a different conviction, I have an issue, not the church or the teacher. You can hold that strong conviction, but don't start slaying them with heretical teaching or Jezebel or whatever it might be because you have a difference in opinion and conviction. Unity is saying, while I differ in how they interpret that portion of the Bible, I bear them in love because I believe the best in them. And I'm eager to see that take place. And I'm patient in that maybe our relationship actually could be healthier than it is because of that one issue. Really a reiteration of Steve's question from last week. What issues may I need to de-escalate to promote oneness? Just sit back over the past year, two years, three years. You've been in Bible studies. You've been in Sunday sermons. You've been in... You know, watching online, you've been in person, you've been all this kind of stuff, and you're sitting. Think back. When did your your blood start to boil? Was it really something to die for? Was it something to divide for? Was it something to debate? Was it something to decide for? Die for orthodoxy. Yeah, your blood should boil. Divide for, there there can be a little irritation there. Debate, if our blood's boiling at debate, it's because of personality stuff, not because of the oneness issue of Christ. And then decide for, my, my blood should not be boiling at all. I should be able to sit here, I should be able to look at somebody and go, you're missing out on not eating pork. But if that is your conviction that you shouldn't eat pork, I will honor that and respect that. You know, you don't like seafood, you're missing out. You don't like chocolate, you're missing out. You wish we had pews in here, I'll tell you what, go get a hardwood chair. You're welcome to bring it in here and sit on it. Like, like don't let my, why would I get irritated by that stuff? If I'm pursuing the oneness of the body. Can I get a couple, three, four kids up here? Or 16 of them. It's okay. There you go. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take these and you're going to go hand them around and you're going to keep one for yourself. Okay? I know you all got comfortable. Go ahead. Just start handing them out to, to people around. Okay? Make some new friends. Some of the people out there are scary. Most of them not too bad. You need some more? Here, you need some more? Here's some more for you. Yeah, no, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Take some more. Hunter, take the rest. Oh, did you need some more? Okay, there you go. Haley. Oh, Haley needs a couple. Here you go. Take that back to Aunt Jenny and Grandpa Larry. Aunt Jenny and Grandpa Larry. Oh, wait, I need one. <laughs> I gave them all away. Come on, somebody get up here. Thank you. Okay, here's the deal. Spiritual grandpa Larry. How's that? Is that better? Does that make you feel more comfortable? Was your blood boiling right then? Oh, okay. All right. I want everyone to stand up. You've been sitting long enough. I want everyone to stand up. Kids, if you can read, you can participate. I want you to... You forgot one for yourself? We need an extra one over there. There's uh, Hunter still has some in his hand. Hunter, we need one over here on the far side. Oh, never mind. We got it taken care of. Okay, here's what I want you to do. We we should play music and do like musical chairs, but we're not going to. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to find somebody in the body to partner up with. And you're going to pray this over each other. So write the name of the person down at the bottom and then continue praying for them through the course of the week. But that's what... Spread out, split up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to get ready to do a closing song. When, when the lull of prayer subsides, we are going to do a closing song. But this is how I want to close out the sermon this morning, is I want you to, to find somebody. I, I mean, if some of you need to spend 15 minutes in prayer asking God who to find, go somewhere else and do that. Um, go join the other people that need 15 minutes to discern who God's leading you to. Just find somebody, pray, this prayer over them, and then allow them to pray it over you. Go.